Hi, welcome to USA Fencing Coaching Education Podcast. I'm Sam Callen, your host. While the podcast is geared to coaches, I think many folks will find the topics of interest. Guests on the podcast will be fencers, coaches, club owners, and also for people from outside the fencing world who can contribute to improving coaching. If you have suggestions for a podcast topic or guest, please email me at s.callan at usafencing.org. That's s.callan at usafencing.org. Thanks, and enjoy the day's episode. Hey, welcome to today's podcast with Amanda Stanick. Amanda has a PhD in kinesiology from the University of Virginia. She has been a PE teacher and also coached soccer and served on the board of directors for Physical and Health Education Canada. And on this podcast, we really talk about developing the well-rounded athlete. And I start out by asking her uh, for a definition of physical literacy. Um, Amanda goes on to compare uh, learning fundamental movement skills to learning how to read, where we start with the basics and eventually develop more and more complex um, behaviors. We discuss how to build a well-rounded child and how that is beneficial for them later in life. And Amanda does point out that it's really important that the kid drive uh, the physical activity and what they want to do. And while I am a huge proponent of multi-sport development and sampling, Amanda does point out that you know if the kid really wants to spend time at the fencing club and lessons and uh, you know maybe dry bounding with others, things like that, you know we should cer- certainly encourage that in our kids. We discuss a little bit about what we can do to integrate physical literacy into uh, fencing lessons and curriculums and clubs, and uh, she does challenge me to help come up with some curriculum for that, and I've got that on my uh, to-do list. And we also talk about how um, exercise or physical activity can influence how kids view physical activity, or I should say how our parents view on that, and what, how what we say about it really has a strong influence on how kids view physical activity. So, um, again, we're a little far afield from uh, fencing specifically on this, but really talking about the athlete development model and uh, developing a well-rounded athlete. So I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast here with Dr. Amanda Stanick. Welcome to the USA Fencing Podcast. I'm really thrilled to have uh, on me today Amanda Stanick. Uh, Amanda uh, has a company called Move, Live, and Learn, where she talks about physical literacy and uh, why movement is important. And I'll let Amanda talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here, Sam, and it's lovely to meet you. Yeah, same here. We've had a couple of good conversations on the phone and setting this up. And uh, you were recommended to me by our mutual friend, John Casson at uh, U.S. Ski and Snowboard. And I was looking for somebody who could talk really well about physical literacy. And he immediately sent back an email with your name. So he uh, he's a big fan. <laughs> well, um, I, I was saying this to you before as a, you know, I wear many hats and I know the call I'm wearing the, the physical literacy hat, but as a, as a parent, the hat I would wear when I describe John Kaysen is the absolute person that I would want someone similar to John coaching my kids because he just, he's just so amazing and loves it so much and is such a student of a sport, always learning and, and his enthusiasm is, it just lights up a room, which is so cool. Yes, I, I agree. I think we're both part of the John Kaysen fan club, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's not bore people with that. And how about, 
How about giving folks a little bit about your background and kind of how you came to be involved in this area of physical literacy, and then we'll talk about what physical literacy is. Sure. I grew up in Nova Scotia, Canada, and was fortunate enough to grow up in a, a small town, a very active town in the northeast coast called Anaganish, and we really pride ourselves on being physically active um, 12 months of the year, played a lot of different sports at the community level. It was a, a kind of an ideal setting in that the population was low, so you could try everything and be a part of everything. So was really happy to do that. And then specialized in soccer when I was about 16 or 17 and went on to play university soccer in Canada. And I majored in physical education. And then I moved to the States to teach physical education and coach soccer at a prep school in Virginia. And they were kind enough to fund my master's degree at Virginia Commonwealth and taught there for, so then I taught at that school, the collegiate school for five years. And that master's studies led to a scholarship at the University of Virginia to do um, my PhD work in physical education pedagogy. And so that led me back to Canada, which is uh, to be a professor back at my undergrad alma mater. And during that time, I was elected to Physical and Health Education Canada's Board of Directors. And that is the equivalent of Shape America. So the organization that, uh, you know, nonprofit that works to support curriculum in the schools across Canada. And at that time in 2006, when physical literacy was really becoming, coming on stage in Canada, and what we wanted to do was to come up with a definition or approve a definition that was uh, given to us by a group of scholars at Brock University. A team of four professors there put together this definition, and they wanted to make sure that the country moved forward with an agreed-upon, endorsed definition from the education sector. And then there was a little bit of a different definition in the sports sector. And then through the last decade, the different sectors have come together to agree on and support uh, one definition to uh, remedy any confusion about what physical literacy is, what's its intent, what does it look like. And so in the meantime, um, I moved back to the U.S. My husband's American and kind of was um, doing some contract work and then decided to give the company a go. And the reason why I wanted to move forward with Move, Live, Learn was when I was in the education sector and seeing sport over here, there were two really amazing groups of people who really cared about kids, who really wanted what's best for kids. They weren't really talking to each other until a lot of really nice glossy pamphlets were developed. And then you even take in the health folks, they weren't even at the table. And so what I wanted to do with Move, Live, Learn was get us all out of our silos and come together to collaborate so that when we went to do research in sport, we looked at the previous theories in education, for example, or if we wanted to develop youth development programs through physical activity, we listened to the health and mental health research as well as what we know about best teaching practices. And so that's really, that was how my journey kind of came to be. And that's how I got involved with, with the physical literacy piece. All right. All right. So you mentioned physical literacy several times. Mm -hmm. What's the definition of physical literacy? Well, the definition of physical literacy is that the competence and confidence um, to move, to, to be physically active in a wide variety of environments. For example, think about land, snow, ice, and water. And it's to benefit yourself, but it's also to benefit your community. So it really encompasses that personal and social responsibility piece. 
it's not just fundamental movement, although the fundamental movement are the building blocks, if you will, or the movement vocabulary piece that are needed. So without those fundamental movements, it's very difficult to want to be active or to be competent and confident in a wide variety of environments. It's that first stepping stone, but it's not the end goal. And I'll admit, I tend to focus probably more on the movement issue. It could be because I'm working in a sport world and um, I, I sometimes forget about the more uh, kind of social aspect of that or the the developmental <laughs> aspect of that uh, part of it. So how so what do we mean when we talk about physical literacy, though? What are we talking about in terms of what uh, kids should be doing or what the recommendations are for for uh, kids as well as adults, too, I guess? Yeah, you know, my, I, I really have to, there's a couple colleagues back in Canada who have really, you know, through the years of conversations, probably guided my thinking on this a lot. One is Dr. Jamie Mandigo and one's Dr. Dean Krelars. And, and working with them, you know, Jamie uses this analogy of how kids, kids don't just start reading a book. You know, they, the kids start by learning phonics and learning their letters and then their sounds, the phonics, and then putting the letters together for words and then words together for sentences and sentences for paragraphs. And, you know, you learn to read, but then you read the world. So they're exposed to fiction and nonfiction, or maybe it's a mystery. They're, they're exposed to a lot of different types of literature to see what hooks with them, right? Or so they can think critically about it. So how they can use the reading in many ways to make themselves better but then how can some people also then use wor- the power words to make society better, right? And so when you look in that um, with physical literacy, thinking about the letters or the alphabet, their movement vocabulary, run, hop, skip, jump, throw, catch, right? If kids don't have those, they can't then combine them for skill combinations, and then they can't use them in different contexts. So throwing and catching on land might be different than, you know, throwing and catching in water for water polo. So we want to, what should they be doing is they should be doing more and lots <laughs> and diverse things to really div- like to hone those skills. Because if, you know, and there's this beautiful diagram that Canada Sport for Life has out and it's, you can download it from their website for free, I'm sure. And it's just like, if a child can't swim, the ch- you know, then they can't, play water polo. They can't swim for exercise. They can't do triathlon. Like there's so many things that they can't do if they're not taught to swim. So if a child is said, oh, you need to snowboard all year round, fly all over the world at age seven, you know, when is that child able to join the community pool to take some lessons to learn to swim? And so when the snowboarding career is over due to six torn ACLs, (laughs) what, what then happens? Right. And so this is what this is what we don't want to see. We want people to be physically literate. So when we all go back to our high school reunion, the star athletes don't just watch sports, but they still participate in physical activity. And I would say right now, unfortunately, when my husband and I go back to some of these events, very few of us are still active, even though a lot of us grew up playing sport together. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think the swimming one is the, is the best example. I use that one a lot too. If the, kid doesn't learn how to swim it's not only that they can't play water polo or swim for exercise yeah, yeah, but yeah. Then when their friends say hey we're all going down to the lake or i grew up near lakes and rivers and so we're all going to go down mm-hmm. you're going well i'm not going to go i don't know how to swim and i don't want to look 
you know, I, I don't want to look out of place. So I just won't go. Yeah. So potentially eliminate just some fun activities they may have with their friends, even if it's not a competitive sport aspect with that. Um, yeah. And or, even and to build on that, I mean, or they don't know how to swim, they could die. Right. Yes. Like a, an otherwise preventable, an otherwise preventable accident. And, and then, the, and, and I would say too, how we, how somebody might feel uncomfortable with the swimming, they would feel just as uncomfortable if they don't know how to throw and catch to, to go and jump into a pickup game of ultimate Frisbee in a local park when they graduate college and get their first job and have time to do these things. Yeah, exactly. And, and it just opens up a whole world to them. I, I love your reading um, analogy there where we also typically don't have kids just, you know, age seven, we say, okay, you're only going to read history. That's all you're going to read. Mm-hmm. Nope. You, you can't go over there and read Harry Potter and I don't know, whatever else the modern version of that one would be. But um, with that, you're just going to read that. You're going to be so specialized at something at the age of seven that that's it. That's And you'll never read Shakespeare or uh, John Grisham or anything else. It's just uh, yeah. know, history books. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we... We do this all the time and building even on that deeper, Dr. Colin Higgs has a phenomenal presentation. I think it was probably five years ago that I watched him present this. And it is all about sport and the re- all the research in sport and the black box of puberty and how you can't even predict, generally speaking, like broad generally speaking, you can't predict the level of someone at 18 based on where they are at seven, you know, so and and. So we, we specialize kids when it might not even be the right thing for them. Oftentimes it's not the right thing for them. And then recognizing too with physical literacy, like speech, like reading, there's a re- reason why we want to teach kids reading in, in kindergarten, right? Because that's the age where they're most ready to learn. And same with their fundamental movements. We, if a child doesn't develop those, if a child doesn't crawl and walk and meet these benchmarks, there needs to be some interventions. Well. What's what's not happening now is the kids aren't learning to throw, skate, swim, and do these things, but then the intervention isn't coming in to support them, and it becomes more difficult as they get older if they haven't already learned it. Not only that, but then you have the psychosocial variables that are coming into play, like we've kind of mentioned, you, you know, they're removing themselves from the situation because of their perceived competence is so poor. And that's why I like that the definition is you know, physical literacy is the competence and confidence. Because even if, you know, the kids who have a lot of fundamental movement, I'll use wrestlers for an example. Um, Wrestlers know how to fall really well. And so wrestlers are often, they can do a flip and they can often pick up things like snowboarding or things because they, the fall part, it's a safe role. And so their movement, their movement vocabulary is quite great. And then they have this perceived competence because their body has been in so many different positions that they can then pick things up. It was pretty cool to think about how um, by then just pigeonholing kids and putting them in a, one sport at a young age, we're really doing them a disservice um, oftentimes for adult adult ego or adult self-serving, whether it be to run a business and have more kids in our, in our facility or to win a medal that to try to relive our youth and get the medal, <laughs> whatever the reason, whatever the reason might be. Um, yes. it's, living vicariously through our children. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I get the pressure from a parent because, you know, when my seven year old wasn't going to do indoor soccer last year, people were like, oh, my gosh, she's going to get behind. I'm like, so, you know, she's going to skate and she's going to do all these other things in the winter. 
Um, and so just, and just saying to her, you know, just stick, just, just don't worry about it. You can go outside and play all the time with play soccer. Like we don't need to pay for it and go all the time. So, yeah. you know, that's a, that's an interesting one. I recently had a discussion with a friend of mine who, um, we were talking about youth sports and he is, he is a parent of a youth sport athlete and he was, you know, he played sports in high school and, and whatnot. And, um, and still is an active person doing a few different things here and there. But we were talking about this and his, I think his oldest kid is probably, probably 16 now, but we were talking about coming up through the ranks and, you know, he says, yeah, you know, play travel soccer, mm-hmm. you know, for, for several years. And then, just kind of got out of that and plays for his high school team, which is actually much lower key than the club soccer team is. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, one of the things he said was, my, you know, I'm talking about multi-sport development with him and doing all the stuff. I'm kind of getting on my soapbox, as <laughs> I will do. Um, I'll admit that. Uh, and I, and he goes, my God, I can't imagine, you know, you know, having to pay to do another travel team thing. And it, I, I looked at him and I, the look on my face he said something. Wow! Why do you give me that look? And I said, "It doesn't have to be that level." It's like mm-hmm. you said: either go out and play, and, and pick up sports has really dropped off in the U.S. But um, just you know, just go play the rec league basketball during the you know winter for his soccer playing uh, child and stuff. And it was almost like he looked at me like, "Well, that would be such a step down." I'm yeah, like, well, that's not really the point, is it? And so anyway. It, uh, he, his his second kid is actually doing a lot more of that, and I, I don't know if that was any influence on me or not. But uh, but his second child is doing rec sports in addition to kind of his very focused on baseball at this point. And, but um, during the winter, he goes and plays just in the rec league basketball thing. It's low key and it's fun. He makes new friends that yeah. are different than baseball friends. Yeah, so, yeah, that's awesome. And you know, it's really it's really funny too because we. The conversation of that early specialization often comes up, but I I always like to also add into that. A lot of times, if if a sixteen year old is is loving it and wants to do it all the time, and the parents are willing to to fund all this, and like that's a that's a small percentage of people really. Like I still think the biggest issue with youth sport is the lack of participation because of the cost barriers involved with it. It's become like this elite or nothing and using words like elite for six-year-olds and things like this. Um, you know, so while it is, I, 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 I do think if it, the kid has to play a role in this in terms of like, I would love to play rec league basketball and pick up and that would be so much fun as opposed to, you know, I don't want to, like I'm craving this extra ice time, you know? And I think, everybody's kid is different. And I, and so sometimes it's like this parents are being, I don't know, really ostracized if they are providing certain opportunities for children at a certain age when they want to specialize, when um, they're really quite happy and everybody's okay with it. So it, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to bring that back up a little bit. So as part of the conversation so that there are obviously exceptions to everything, but it, right. You know, but I think this a cost prohibitive situation is is the biggest problem in the country right now. Yeah, there there's a, uh, and I'll, I'll see if I can put this in the show notes. There's a there was a you know Washington Post story I would say in maybe September 
in, in fact, I remember it was September because it was right around the time of the Project Play um, annual uh, summit and mm. talked about the kind of the haves and have-nots in youth sports and, um, and you know, where that break is. And they were mainly looking at the big U.S. sports of uh, kind of baseball, soccer being, I think, the two they were focusing on uh, with that. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting world. Yes. <laughs> Bringing this back around physical literacy for, for a moment here, too. So um, for fencing coaches and club owners out there, one of the recommendations that USA Fencing makes is to, you know, is for multi-sport, multilateral development so that kids are getting those, um, you know, the running, jumping, throwing, skipping, um, you know. You know, the Canadians, of course, big on snow and ice stuff mm-hmm. um, and doing that. And for maybe the kids who are so in love with fencing, they don't do another sport. What are some things that coaches can do to integrate this, these physical literacy skills into, you know, warm-ups or, or mm-hmm. uh, cool-downs or anything like that mm. so that those kids do develop some of those movement skills? Yeah, that that's great. I, I would say USA Fencing should work with a group to come up with a movement preparation for the different stages of the long-term athlete development. So the kids coming into their club who are at the fundamental stage might have a movement preparation. It's 10 minutes at the beginning of um, 10 minutes at the beginning of the session that they would go through these certain exercises. I've seen, I, I believe they're available for free on Canada sport for life website as well. Uh, but there are some already developed for different stages of LTAD um, that are developed for the purpose of, I, th- I think there's four different um, st- stages of the model. So maybe it's probably fundamental through training to compete. I would I would guess those four stages. And so there's one for each one. And so the kids would come in and for the first 10 minutes of every practice, they would go through these, you know, hop on one foot, karaoke type activities. Uh, that that is one thing and they you know based on it could maybe even if they worked with if USA fencing worked with um, some people who have developed these you know uh, we could then look at okay these are the movements that they're always getting in fencing so now let's maybe pull some of these movement preparation activities out of this warm-up and add some of these things which aren't existent to support that so that's I think a very tangible, kind of easy fix that they could then have up on their site so that all the clubs around the country could access and making it free for the people at the community level to, to access the, these great warmups and everything would be one very easy cost effective way to, to do this and to do it right. You know, because I think people are very well intended and would like to do it, but sometimes just don't know what to do. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I agree with you that we need to take some lead in that and we're, in the process of working on some of that uh, information to get out to people. And, and I also know there's tons of stuff on YouTube that people have put up their, their good on, Oh, here's a way you can do a really neat little warm up, and you're doing the different movement skills and things. And, and you're also getting them warmed up and prepared for, you know, their, their instruction, their lesson coming up as well. Yeah. Uh, on that. Yep. And then, you yeah. know, another little thing, and this comes back to why I like sport to talk to teaching was sometimes what I would do when I first started teaching PE and sometimes, you know, the culture where I was, um, sometimes the kids weren't, the middle schoolers weren't always excited to come. So I started this little activity and set up this fun little game in the locker room where they could, which some people would frown 
upon perhaps, but it was well supervised and it was like a modified handball activity. And there was, so it was almost like if they got down and got changed quickly, they were rewarded by this little game. It was more of an intramural type thing, but all the kids got involved. And sometimes they were so into it that for the last round, class would start two minutes late because they were so excited about movement and, and playing <laughs> this game. But it really helped to increase um, the community feel of the class and to remind them just how fun physical activity is. And then we could come in and it may have had nothing to do with the actual lesson, but we could then use that experience to talk about social health and community and all of these other aspects of why, you know, we move our bodies and, you know, for, for example, why, why kids like to go to fencing? What are some of the, what are the community aspects of it as a group and as a, you know, do they do things to service in the community and, and things like that? So that's just another little way that you can, you could modify that. I know <laughs> my husband wrestled for Cornell and Cornell wrestlers love to play soccer before practice they love yeah. to play indoor soccer and they go hard and they you know they they think they're really good at soccer <laughs> and they're really good wrestlers but you know it's a uh, it's it's fun to see it's fun to like when we're in Ithaca it's fun to see them go and, and enjoy enjoy so much enjoy each other and play and compete in such a fun way yeah well and I I think that one of those things too is you know, that can be a nice different way of conditioning the athlete as well as by making it more game versus go run laps. Oh, yeah. And um, and I, I'm a runner and you were talking earlier, you're <laughs> going to head out for a run as soon as this is over. And <laughs> we may enjoy doing that, but most people, you know, especially middle school kids and high school kids, ah, run. It, that's it's a punishment thing you and, know? And, and they wouldn't think yeah. that way if we didn't brainwash them to because look at kids they're born yeah. to move right but they're taught they're taught that it's a punishment they've heard their parents kind of complain about it they've yeah been they've been punished with exercise in their sport because it's a short-term fix to a bigger solution of having a more exciting practice you know and I always would say you know coaching like we don't we're going to play 3v3 2v2 we're going to play and run in our game because we when they come and say we want to play, then why the hell don't we let them play? You know, like, yes. yep. <laughs> and, and, the, and the social side of it, you know, putting kids in different, you know, we put our two biggest kids in them. They're six and seven in a couple triathlons this fall. They actually learned, you know, and we talked about if you're the last one out of the water, you still have two events, like just compete and have fun. And, you know, and so it, it is really cool to see how they will see it as a reward. They'll petition their principals for more recess. They'll be upset if they're punished with exercise because exercise is a privilege. You know, so yeah. adults have to be mindful and coaches of how we talk about physical activity as such a gift, you know? Yeah. I'm excited for my run now, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. My, the running coaching me comes out to try to get you fired up for your run. Well, I, I think part of it, one of the biggest, one of the things, and um, it, it, it's Funny, I asked a friend of mine who is at the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, Scott, mm -hmm. I interviewed him for an old podcast that I was doing, and um, and we were talking. And one of the questions to him was, "What's the one thing you would like want to get rid of that you would wish coaches would stop doing?" And and um, he he asked me that question as well. After he answered it, he goes, "What was your?" I said, "Make them stop mm -hmm. stop exercise as punishment." Mm -hmm. you know, conditioning should be conditioning and um, stuff. And I said, I think too many kids, because when 
and I, we did this when I was, you know, playing basketball as a kid. You know, in high school, we would, if you missed, you know, free throws, something you ran laps. Well, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who's taking Psych 101 knows you put a negative with that behavior, and you know, you don't want to do that that punishment. So people don't want to run because they were told forever, oh, you messed up, run a lap, run a lap. Yeah, and exactly. It's, and then exactly. you've taken a, a, a very common form of exercise that a lot of people do. I hate that. Why? Well, because I had to run. I have friends in the military and they would have to run for punishment. And I'm going, so are you going to go out and run for fun? No, it's yeah. always seen as punishment. And, um, you know, or doing push-ups or things like that, that, um, you know, having that connection just is mind-boggling. And I will admit this was a recent re- revelation in my life in the last about 15 or 20 years. I, you know, realized that and um, wish I now had not made kids when I coached youth sports do that because I was guilty of it. Yeah. So, guilty. You know, I, you know, that's how I was coached and most of us coached like we were coached, right? I know, I know. And that's why these, the, that's because that's the best part of technology, I think, is the fact that podcasts and things come to the amazing community coaches because they're really the champions in our communities. They're volunteering their time often um, because, for a love of a sport and are so well intended, but often haven't had access to good coaching and education along the way. And so by doing what you're doing and having different podcasts and bringing in just allowing these amazing, I think the pillars of communities truly, um, allowing them to step back and think about things other than the tactics and the technique is really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a, a something I'm doing. I think we have, we have a we have great fencing coaches. I've got to meet many of them who are doing a lot of the things we're talking about here. I think that sometimes sure. they just don't realize it has a name to it. It's yep. just whatever reason they, they realize that's the right thing to do or they picked it up over time. And so if nothing else, you now have a name for what you're doing mm-hmm. with this, whether it's long-term athlete development or, uh, you know, here in the U.S., American development model, or if it's physical literacy and, um, and, you know, hopefully this helps reinforce those people who are doing that out there, doing the doing the good stuff of developing those movement skills with uh, with their with their kids and even with the adults, too. Although, as you pointed out, um, there, there are these windows where you're primed to learn these things. And it's not that you can't learn them later. You're probably just not going to develop as well as you had if you had done that between these age ranges, depending on what the skill is. Yeah. And I, and I think bringing it all back to physical literacy, as, as we've talked about, it is, it is something that, um, goes over the lifespan. And so when we're talking like youth and early years, you know, it's also what is the 90 year old who used to go for long walks, who then walked up her long driveway, who then could walk back and forth in her farmhouse, who my grandmother, she was 95 and she would still get up you know, many times a day and walk from one end of her farmhouse to the other and back because she knew that it was helping to keep her mind sharp and her bones strong, right? Yeah. And so she was more physically literate than somebody perhaps racing and doping because she's she's was moving her body for her health, right? And what I also love about physical literacy, it does take into account clean sport, because it is about them being motivated to behave in physically active ways that benefits oneself. And you're not benefiting oneself if you're cheating, right? Yes. In any capacity and, and then, and benefiting others. So how are you, 
then how are you then trickling that on? Are you volunteering at a local 5K? Like it could look very different to different people. Are you organizing a run group to get your neighbors out? Are you inviting the mom down the street who looks totally burnt out and exhausted to yoga with you? You know, how are you then trying to kind of share that with, with your community? And I think kids, if, if curriculum is good and youth sport development is good, they will get that and it, it can change quickly, you know? Well, I, I would put a challenge out to folks is, you know, to help, you know, a little bit self-serving and that we want to grow our sport here. We want to grow fencing yeah, is absolutely in, invite your friends to, you know, come to, you know, your fencing club. And many, many clubs do a, you know, do a bring a friend night and help to introduce them to that sport. You are helping their physical literacy by introducing them some movements of striking things. Um and in certain movement patterns and you know a lot of kids you know it's like with any other sport there are a lot of kids who you know are going to try it and go eh, this is not for me for whatever reason you know some people mm-hmm. are more team oriented i think kind of in our dna or individual sport oriented and um and i, I really like the fact you know to have people try both and to see what they like and um I was at a conference a couple of years ago, and a guy made a really great comment. He is a uh, he runs a soccer club up in Denver. Or he's part of a soccer club up in Denver, and he encourages all his soccer players to go do an individual sport. Mm. And and I asked him about why afterwards, and he goes, "Well, it teaches you you're reliant on yourself mm. at the end of the day. That you know, but you also get all the thrills that come with being in an individual sport. And in that if you if you win, you won. It wasn't because a teammate, you know, yeah, passed yeah. you the ball. And and for some people, that's really good. And he kind of thinks that helps out. And then he said the flip side would be if he he said, you know, if I were a golf coach, I would go encourage kids to go play a team sport, a, a you know, a true team sport, um, mm-hmm. because then you learn that you need to rely on others and working together and all those skills. So I think that kind of brings in the physical literacy of that well-roundedness and, yeah. and trying different things. Um, yeah, find that out. Yep. Well, and uh, the, I have not had the privilege yet of being around fencing. I would love, I would love to try it. Actually, I think it's it, it's really cool to watch. And um, when I was doing some research and and some work, some program writing for the International Olympic Committee, I was over to Europe a couple times, and at two different trips. I had the opportunity to meet and listen to and interact with Claudia Bokel, who won mm. a medal in Athens in fencing. And um, she is now in the IOC, but she was elected as the Athletes Commission. I think that's the proper term, but all the uh, athletes voted her to be their yes. representative. And, um, you know, you all have a really smart, uh, <laughs> wonderful <laughs> ambassador on the world stage as well. I mean, she is. She was so smart and wonderful and and lovely to to listen to and and learn from. So it was, you know, I, I'd like to see it more. You know, yeah. I'm I'm sure there's so many kids who would love it um, that haven't been exposed to it. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think that is one of the things that uh, I think a lot of people in my position are very much in the idea of exposing kids to lots of sports, particularly the sports that aren't high profile. Um, yep. You know, there aren't the big four, five, you know, which are almost all team sports in the U.S. Um, you know, soccer, hockey, basketball, baseball, football. Um, I don't know. 
I, I don't know what the next tier of that is, other than maybe swimming and gymnastics are probably the highest, and track and field are the three highest profiles in the Olympics for sure. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of sports out there that you can be really good at and, and good at and do for the rest of your life. I mean, when mm-hmm. you come to a fencing tournament, you have people who are 70 and 80 years old who are, who are fencing still. Some of them started later in life. I met a woman who um, won an event in Baltimore uh, in March of 2017. And, you know, she was in her early 80s. I think she had started fencing when she was in her mid-60s. Wow. Yeah. It's it's, so cool. I thought it was really cool. And as someone who has taken some fencing lessons later in life, I went, well, I'm I'm a youngster compared to her, <clears throat> and um, so it's never too late to start as well, and to, and for them to develop that that those yeah. skills and the movement patterns and and the social aspect of it too, you know. Yeah. Most of the time, people say that one of the reasons they do sports is that it the health benefits, but also that social interaction with folks. Um, exactly, and so point. that's why, yeah, and that's why we come back to the youth sport is. We need to be identifying that for kids so that they get that. You know, like when I moved to St. Louis, I hated it. And my husband's like, you got to join a running club. I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I just need to go early on my own. I'm busy, da, 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 da. He's like, no. You got, he signed me up for a running club. He's like, I told him he'd be there. <laughs> and I went and I met these wonderful people that I ended up training with the last three years. And like, I mean, it, it only, it only <laughs> helps me to be reminded myself of if we're not teaching the children about that, you know, saying to this grade two soccer team that I'm coaching, you know, who, when they come out, I don't want to be here. Literally, like, I don't want to play. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, you're 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 this is a team sport. You know, your friends are counting on you. And then to see the difference in their demeanor and their effort and, you know, remind now you did this for each other. And, then, you know, this is this is a community and and they get it, you know, yeah. but we they're not going to get it if we don't if they're not guided. Yes, very true. Very true. All right. Well, Amanda, I'm going to wrap this up and uh, any kind of parting thoughts. And again, um, give us your website and are you on social media uh, and give us those handles and then any uh, any closing thoughts. Yeah, I just want to wish you all the best. I will be following a little more closely now. That's for sure. Excellent. Now that we've we're all friends. Good. Um, yeah, I, I you, my website is movelivelearn.com. And so there's a blog that is dusty, but there's some stuff on physical literacy there for sure. If you keep digging, uh, back from a, a couple years ago, but it's totally relevant now. Um, Facebook is just facebook.com, um, slash move, live, learn. And, uh, Twitter and Instagram are both at move, live, learn. Great. Fantastic. So, all right. I wish you all the best to all you club coaches out there. And, um, please get, send me a, send me a tweet or a note and let me know how things are going. That sounds great. Great invitation there. All right. So, Amanda, uh, from Move, Live, Learn, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Of course, Sam. It was lovely to meet you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, this is your host, Sam Callen. Once again, thanking you for joining us for today's podcast. Once again, if you have suggestions for topics or guests, please email me at s.callen. That's C-A-L-L-A-N at usafencing.org and I also want to thank Lee Rosevere the music you hear on the intro and that I'm talking over right now is provided by Lee he does that for podcasts for free so if you're interested please uh, google him 
It's uh, Lee, L-E-E, Rosevere, R-O-S-E-V-E-R-E. And uh, join us for our next podcast. Thank you.